0: I have been like Harrison Ford and Mosquito Coast talking about ice has been me talking about Peter Weir being an underappreciated altor.
1: <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Center Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Ceno we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. But for the month of March we are doing something a little different by focusing on the filmography, Of a director, and this is part two of our director series on Australian film director Peter Weir, and Thomas is loving this month.
0: Yeah, this is this is my dream month.
1: (laughs) So, for people that Mm -hmm. listened to the last episode, hopefully you you have. But Thomas, what did we talk about kind of last week about Peter Weir?
0: Yeah, so we talked about his rise as one of the forefront directors of the Australian New Wave movement which was a, a movement of directors who were getting government funding to kind of bring back the Australian film industry. And we're particularly kind of stood out as we discussed, especially with Picnic at Hanging Rock, which became kind of a fast favorite within the art world. And uh, we're going to see today as he kind of turned that into American success. But a lot of what we talked about last week were how not just Weir's, Weir's own themes in his films, which usually relate to like being an outsider or, or feeling out of place, but how that related to a lot of the major themes of the Australian New Wave movement, which were about a lot of them about what it meant to be Australians of European descent living in uh, this country that had recently been taken from its indigenous people.
1: And so, so this, this has been an interesting month so far for me, because I've been like, learning a lot it's been interesting because we've done these director episodes where it's like everything's kind of compact and it's been kind of refreshing to watch like a few movies each week of a director so i guess my the next question is like what have we what have we learned so far what have you learned so far when doing this kind of i guess exercise with weir
0: yeah i think it it helps you like like we were just talking about it helps to kind of note all these themes that we've been talking about they can be pretty easily lost if you, uh, you know, if you just watch one here or there, it can be fairly, fairly easily lost. But if you take them all together, is when you start seeing all these amazing little, you know, intricacies. These, these really small connections between something like the plumber and something like green card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's and that's that's what all tour theory is. It's this this theory that that the director has this creative control over a project in a way that his voice permeates all of his work, regardless of who else is involved. And, and as, as someone who works in film, who is not a director, I, I take some issues with that, but uh, I do, I do love all tour theory and I love, I love studying all in that altors in that way. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been really really fun to to look at, at we're in this way because like we've noted that he's not somebody who is often brought up in discussions of all tours. And uh, I think yeah. we're 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 here to find that that he's someone who deserves that.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing I mean A tour is like it, it, it does the it the term gets tossed around a lot. I guess the big thing is the is there a consistent voice throughout all of the works? Um and I think as we found out before, but as we continue to find out with Weir is that there is a consistent voice present throughout all of the films like i remember what was when what we watch i think it was i watched one movie i think it was with you're living dangerously uh for this episode where i think i watched people like kind of arm and arm walking in a specific shot at one point and then weirdly that shot kind of reappears the beginning of witness when you're seeing the Amish settlers walk arm in arm like through the field. At one point, mm-hmm. there's kind of repeating, repeating shots, and maybe I'm just putting like putting myself into that, but um, that is very apparent in some of his films. Um, but today, we're for these next few episodes. Last week was kind of our big kind of chunk of movies, but for these next few episodes, we're gonna be doing three movies for each episode. So today, we're gonna be talking about the year living dangerously from 1982. Uh, Witness from 1985, and The Mosquito Coast from 1986. Um Year of Living Dangerously, I believe, is streaming on Hoopla, but it's also streaming on Watch TCM. Apparently, mm-hmm. found that out. That's yep. how I watched it. Um, uh, Witness, where'd you uh, Witness? Says it was on Hulu and and Epix or Epix, but it was not on either of them.
0: Yeah, I think I just watched my own personal copy of Witness. Yeah,
1: I, I watched my personal copy of Witness and Mosquito Coast, but you can rent them online as well. Mm. But we're gonna be talking about all three of those films today, uh, and kind of the surround the 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 uh, time period of when they were made. So last episode we finished off where Peter Weir had directed gallipoli starring mel gibson and it was kind of the first it was the first big peter weir movie out of australia that was in terms of like a large canvas basically um and it was kind of almost like a david lean-esque m- a movie like a Lawrence of arabia in terms of scale mm-hmm. so he does that movie and he goes into the year of living dangerously also starring mel gibson so Thomas, what is the year of living dangerously about?
0: Living Dan- the year of living dangerously is based on a based on a novel again uh, mm-hmm. where works very well in adaptations. Uh, yeah. about an Australian reporter in the early 1960s who's sent to uh, Indonesia to report on the political tor- turmoil there as the uh, reigning uh, leader. Is is being challenged from the right and left by by a communist uprising and a far right military uprising, and uh, Guy is played by Mel Gibson. He's he's sent in to take over for this the former Australian uh, correspondent there, and is very lost. He doesn't have the contacts. He doesn't have the the friends that you would need to really get the stories that you need there. and uh, And he meets Billy Kwan, who is a Australian. Uh, Chinese uh, r- photographer slash videographer uh, who's kind of freelance, and he takes guy under his wing. He kind of sees guy as this very epic potential kind of romantic hero that he can mold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it's a, yeah, it's a we, it's a, it's a very un- interesting relationship. Yeah, Bil- Billy's really into like the mythology of of Indonesia, and then he sees. Uh, guy is this parallel to this this great prince of of legend, yeah, and decides he's going to shape guy into this this great person. Uh, and involved yeah. in that is introducing him to Jill, who works at the British Embassy, who is played by uh, Sigourney Weaver.
1: Yeah, this one, this one I had never seen before until this episode, and it's a again, it's a very large film mm-hmm. like it reminds I me mean, it's it's not it, the, the, the you got the parallels of like vietnam war movies is kind of what it feels like you know it's not it's taking place during the vietnam war era mm-hmm. but it's not set in the vietnam war yeah because i think that's kind of the whole thing is that everyone's trying to like go like i think because it's like michael murphy's character who's one of the journalists yeah, he's trying like,
0: to go to vietnam they're
1: all trying to go to vietnam and cover the war because uh, that's where, like, as a journalist, that's where you want to be. That's where the action is. But you're like, yeah, but it's, it's a war. Like, people are dying over there. And this movie, in terms of, like, a journalism movie, because we're going to talk about journalism movies in the future, I believe, for a month. But uh, sometimes journalism movies are about, like, there's some sort of, like, investigation They almost plays like a detective movie. And the true journalism movies are about kind of the ethics of journalism, and I think this one kind of touches on that mm-hmm. um, with the ethics of what, what to report and the idea of sources and kind of how friendships and bi- like professional stuff can get intertwined sometimes. I and mean, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, Cause that's kind of what happens. Yeah.
0: And I think it has a lot to say about the, the way these, you know, what is your role as a journalist? Because Billy is someone we find yeah. out who is very emotionally tied to what is happening within Indonesia. And Guy is not. Guy is very kind of cold and detached from not just what's happening in Indonesia, but the people around him, which is what kind of ultimately leads him and Billy to have a falling out. And, and, and so there's this question of, like, what makes a good journalist versus what makes a good person? And, and what, what should you be out of the two?
1: yeah' because essentially he he is told something by Jill later on in the movie. We'll get into some spoiler territory with these movies just so you guys know. but they're they're she's told some sort of big piece of information in confidence, not saying he can print it and he's like, oh, this could be the biggest story of the year or of my of my career. I have to report this so like no no, no, I just told you this like we just had sex. we're together. And now you're like going to put this out in the world. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he and, 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 and Billy warns him. You know, this will not only influence your relationship with Jill and I. It could also influence what is happening here in this in this country. Yeah, uh, because you yeah, know, he, he he finds out that the the communists, the the kind of rebels, are gearing up to to rebel, and and by running this story, he could kind of ruin the surprise of this this uprising
1: and it's also kind of sets up like if you if you do this now how are you going to be for the rest of your career in terms of how you you cover stories like and it's against billy's kind of attached like you said it's like it's to the people and to the land and there's a personal relationship there and and with guy with with gibson's character it's very much just like everything's detached and it's kind of him learning how to be a good journalist like how to actually care about the people he's covering and what's right and what's wrong but yeah so i guess in terms of like weirs the outsider theme, what do you see here in this movie regarding that
0: i mean obviously we're presented even from the start with guy as this person who's not only an outsider in indonesia but he's an outsider within this community of expatriates who are in indonesia you like you you mentioned michael murphy earlier you've got this kind of group of journalists that he hangs out with one of michael murphy kind of plays the the american which got to say for for weir's first film produced by an american studio even though this is a an australian film i believe mgm was involved they were the, in yeah, the distributor uh, yeah
1: yeah and yeah.
0: uh it's not 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 a great picture of americans that it paints here with uh, with michael murphy <laughs>
1: no he's yeah he's not he's not a cool he's not a good guy he's kind of a bully to everybody great actor though
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely but yeah we're we're presented with with billy and kind of the reason that i that guy and billy are drawn together is because guy feels lost and billy is kind of ostracized by this group of journalists uh even though he's someone who has like great connections he he can't quite fit in with with this group
1: yeah um and to go off of billy uh because the big kind of story here at least with them like in the when it came out was that billy is played by an actress it's played by linda hunt mm-hmm. uh who plays it was supposed to be supposed to be a dancer by the name of david atkins and they had rehearsal with him, and we realized that it just wasn't working with him and gibson so they fired him we're gonna bring in either wallace sean or uh bob balaban oh interesting and then and then we saw linda hunt's photo and was like i want that person and that's how linda hunt was cast
0: yeah it's a very interesting casting choice it's it it's because billy is someone is it's kind of debated within the film as to whether he is very small or whether he does have dwarfism yeah, uh, Some people like call him a dwarf within the film and, and Guy, there's a part where he calls himself a dwarf and, and Guy is like, you're not a dwarf. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's a very hard part to cast. I think it should be brought up that unfortunately a, an Asian actor was not cast in this role. Uh, yeah. Even though it, it's kind of debated within the film, like Billy is, australian and is of mixed australian and asian descent and that's that's got to be an extremely hard role to to cast accurately you know a a not a very short but not with dwarfism actor of mixed asian descent yeah Uh, so unfortunately someone you know of asian descent was not cast in this role but that that you know it's i think do think it's not it could be done a lot worse you know i yeah <laughs> i don't I mean, yeah, think uh, the way linda hunt portrays this role is is disrespectful in any way and it's an incredible performance that she does end up giving
2: you made the broadcast No, didn't i didn't source that back to jill i got that someplace else Doesn't matter. that's not the yes point. it is it is the point When this thing breaks, it could change the whole political shape of Southeast Asia. And how far are my loyalties to Jill supposed to go?
3: I would have given up the world for her. You won't even give up one
2: story. It's not just a story. Damn it. It's it's the bloody story. Now, can't you understand that? Don't you understand? You've lost Jill. What? What what have you told her? You told us. I gave her to you, and now I'm taking her back. Do you understand? You gave it to me. For Christ's sake, you mad little bastard. You think you can. Control people's lives just because you got them in your bloody files? I believed in you. I thought you were a man of light. That's why I gave you those stories you think are so important. I made you see things. I made you feel something about what you write. I gave you my trust.
1: So did Jill. I
2: created you.
1: So yeah, and I want to talk about this cause I so Ebert, I want to bring up Roger Ebert a little bit because Ebert's a big fan was a big fan of Peter Weir. Mm. Um he gave he gave Picnic a Hanging Rock four stars, and he gave this movie four stars in his review. And he talked about how the location of the movie like he, Weir really captures the location of Indonesia. Even though they didn't shoot in Indonesia, they shot in the Philippines and Australia. Um is that you really get a sense of the environment they are in. And he also brings a good point. He goes, he doesn't shoot it like a travel log for the most of the movie. Like it, you're kind of just thrown into the movie. The shots come, but definitely feels like it's more effective now because we haven't seen like the environment in like a wide landscape. If that makes sense. It's very much. Yeah. You've
0: been in the scenes. Yeah. And I think, I think what I really like about this movie is, Like that as well as it doesn't fall into these kind of cliches of this, you know, this white person in another country during a big political upheaval that has like, like all this pull over what's going on there. It's it's this movie is consistently about like how everything that's going on around them is so much bigger than them. And these people like, don't even realize it even though they're there, like they're, they're covering it. They're the reporters it, I, I love there's a scene when when he and Michael Murphy get drunk in this bar and are just kind of being assholes. And you can tell everyone there has just had it with them until eventually this this guy like pulls a gun on him and is like, get out yeah. yeah. right now. And and you're just like everything that's going on around these people is so much more important than they realize. Yeah. And, and so that's what I, I, I kind of really enjoy about this movie is is it, it doesn't fall into that like, oh, this guy came to indonesia and now he's he's involved in like the revolution and he's involved on this side and that side it's 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 all happening and he's just kind of struggling to keep up with with what's going on around him
1: yeah he's not he's not playing a savior of any kind of just like oh let me fix all the problems of indonesia doing mm. everything like he's kind of he's kind of just like lost like that's kind of the whole thing is that he doesn't truly like he, said, he doesn't truly understand what is at the core of this conflict. Like you have, like he kind of talks to the people that work for him or work with him, uh, at the radio, uh, as radio job. Um, and the, and, and he's kind of, I mean, it's, this movie reminds me a little bit of good morning Vietnam in a way. Hmm. Um, it's not as comedic in any way, but it deals with the same thing of, of kind of a, a radio personality. Cause he's a radio journalist. um, and kind of how, in the similar thing with Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam, he's kind of also unaware of like the at like the the environment he's in, even though he's in it. it. Like he becomes more aware of it as the movie goes on in Good Morning Vietnam, and it doesn't become a joke anymore when he actually can put faces, faces and names with everybody with everything. And I feel like with this is kind of similar, where Gibson by the end of it or Guy ends up starting to put people like put people together it's not just like unknown people out in the world that he's just covering he's mm-hmm. covering the people he knows and people he knows are involved in the and this kind of is conflict by the end of it um yeah and that's what kind of changes him i think over over time
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh is realizing that
0: yeah yeah and i you know i think billy's kind of flaw within the film is that he thinks that he can change much more than than with it is within his power yeah and and guy is kind of the exact opposite and and so by the end they kind of find this middle ground where guy recognizes he can maybe help a few of the people around him but he's he's not going out of his way to attempt to influence any of any of this you know he's he's yeah it's it's i I think it's a very morally gray film which i which i love it's uh it's very complex. With these these three characters that we're following, and and Billy is such a compelling character, and and Hunt's performance is is fantastic.
1: Yeah. So we haven't talked about this as much in that part one, but we are a genre podcast. What genres does this movie really fit into? Because there's a lot with Year of Living Dangerously.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's it's a romance, like a lot of the film is is about this relationship between guy and jill i think ultimately at the at the core of it that's that's the the story yeah. is their romance with with billy kind of as the not not a love triangle but billy kind of there as their friend who's who's pulling the strings mm-hmm. because yeah, billy is, it, it is about billy trying to get the two of them together but it's it's you know it's an epic romance it's it's not yeah i wouldn't necessarily call it a romance film but it it is yeah. about two people coming together set against this this huge uh historical backdrop
1: yeah and the romance doesn't really pop up until like the m- middle of the movie like they they have scenes together but i think the romance doesn't fully start until they go off to get like that that day trip together basically when they're like caught in the rain out by like the docks area. Um, and Billy's weirdly watching them. You find out later is kind of what it is taking pictures of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say ep, kind of epic romance. I mean, it's a wartime film, I guess you could say it's not really a war movie, but it's again, we talked about Gallipoli, how that's a, like that's a war film where there's only one battle, by at the end of the movie, and it's kind of all put in the background. And this is kind of a similar thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the closest thing I can compare it to, as far as an existing film, would probably be something like, I mean, a, a film that would, would come along. I think after this, I don't know about the timing. Like Out of Africa is is another movie that comes to mind. Oh,
1: oh, Out of that's Af- actually that's gonna be a bullet point later, by the way. I just want you to oh, be aware. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll tell. I'll tell you why. But right. Out of Africa it comes out in eighty five.
0: Okay. All right. Um yeah yeah that's another film that comes to mind. Uh I, I I don't know that that any of these are are superior in quality uh, then there might not be great comparisons but uh Australia is another. Oh, is is it? Is another film that I can think of?
1: I mean I think even Good Morning Vietnam kind of has that too cuz that's a a war film where you don't really see like battle. It's like you're you're there in the environment of a war. But you're not seeing Ron Williams go out and see like watch like a battle take place. Mm-hmm. It's all just the, like you're seeing shots of, of of soldiers kind of hanging out. What it is a lot of the time and listening to the radio. But you're not really seeing battle. So I think that's a a, a decent comparison as well. But stuff does happen action wise. Really, like, there's a bombing in that movie as well. Um, so things happen regarding the war, but we're not seeing the the war directly
0: yeah i mean ultimately i think part of the reason why we're, we're doing this month anyway for because for a lot of weird films this is a very hard movie to categorize as a genre yeah it's it's a very very unique film it's a it's a journalism movie it's a war movie it's a romance but it's not it never fully leans on any of those things it kind of combines all of those aspects
2: was philippe a good journalist
3: one of the best
2: right, where is he now
3: Saigon. Did Billy tell you? Yeah.
2: You and he have become quite a team. <laughs> he thinks the world of you, you know. God, I don't know why. You're everything he'd like to be. Well, he's a strange little guy, you know. I mean, how does he manage to get me an interview with the top communist in Indonesia?
3: You think he's an agent? Well, maybe.
2: You don't know him very well, do you? Well, he's a cameraman, for Christ's sake. How does he get such good contacts? I don't know. People trust him. He breezes into every embassy reception, whether he's invited or not. No one can get up the courage to ask him to leave. He's keeping a file on me. Why does he do that if he's not an agent? He keeps files on a lot of people. Yeah, what kind of people? People he cares about. Has he told you about Ibu. Who's that? A woman he's adopted from the camp home. believe he's got a woman. More than that.
1: That's not his kid, is it?
2: No. He gives
1: him food and money, that's all. This movie comes out in A2. It At the AACTA, which is the Australian equivalent of the Academy Awards, it gets 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 nominations. Only wins one, though. And that's Linda Hunt for Best Supporting Actress. Hmm. But even though it is an Australian movie, as we've said, it Weir definitely feels like he's pushing beyond the Australian new wave movement at this point, but yeah, this feels there's, there's like an American Australian
0: movement. characters in it. And everyone else is, is from other countries. Yeah.
1: And the other part, I guess too, maybe because we're putting this on later is that you have Sigourney Weaver and Mel Gibson and they become big American stars within a, like the mm-hmm. next few years. Um. So, and she's already American. She's already done alien at this point. So she's already on the rise up. So like, it feels like an american cast in a way that's set amongst the indonesian world it's probably the movie that really breaks him out in terms of like studio wise it's definitely the film that breaks gibson out in america i feel because at this point he's kind of shown love him or hate him uh nowadays i understand but at this point he's shown he can do the mad max movies but he can also do the dramas like Gallipoli and this movie. And within like a few years, it's is lethal weapon. What year is lethal weapon?
0: 86,
1: 86. Yeah. 87. Um, yeah. So that's, that's five years later.
0: Um, yeah, I read the, uh, the New York times review for, for this film said something along the lines of like, if this doesn't cement Gibson as a Hollywood star, I don't know what will like. We we've seen Mad Max now we know he's a he's a dramatic actor as well. And can play a romantic lead as well. Mm-hmm. Uh so like you're seeing
1: all different kind of facets of his of his uh persona. Um and yeah, it just does it you, you don't see, if he doesn't break out here what does break him out? Um and with Weird it's kind of the same thing. So Linda Hunt ends up being nominated for an Oscar for best supporting actress or best supporting actress as Billy. And so his next film, actually he starts prepping for a movie called *The Mosquito Coast*, which he's going to do mm. later, which feels like an interesting follow-up to *You're Living Dangerously*. Yeah, it's almost more in line with the like traveling aspect. Different, like it, it's, it's it's very
0: humid. Both very, both, both very humid. Yes, hu- yeah.
1: yeah. So, but instead, so the funding for *The Mosquito Coast* falls apart, and he had been offered this kind of cop movie, like this cop thriller. Uh, again, it's a movie you don't really know where to place in terms of genre. Um, and so apparently it was it's and it, it ends up becoming it ends up becoming Witness and Witness is about a this Amish Amish woman and her child are going to the city going to Philadelphia after uh, their their husband slash father has passed away in the Amish community. They're going to I think visit her sister and they end up being stopped in Philadelphia because of a train delay. Well, the young boy played by Lucas Haas of Brick Fame and Christopher Nolan Fame, um he sees a murder take place in the bathroom of the the train station in Philadelphia. And they beca- he becomes a witness in this murder case and Harrison Ford is the police officer, the detective who is the, is Ryan, the case. And as they're kind of trying to find out who the, the young kid saw, uh, they begin to realize that it was a cop that killed this man. And Lucas Haas saw a cop do it. And now Harrison Ford realizes there's corruption within his, uh, kind of, uh, precinct. And then realizes that it goes up a little bit higher and Ford as a way to protect himself, And the kid and Kelly McGillis, who plays the uh, Rachel, the Amish woman, they all have to go back into hiding in the Amish community and get away from the crooked cops. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's it's this weird, like it's a thriller. It's like a cop movie and a thriller. But then it becomes something else entirely once they get to Amish country
0: and Pennsylvania. Yeah, it starts as this kind of detective thriller and then the entire second act. I would say is about learning about the the Amish world yeah. and also this romance that blooms between a uh, book, John Book, the detective. Yeah. What a great name, John Book. You're great, yeah, John Book, and and Rachel,
1: the the Amish woman. Yeah, it's just a so apparently it was inspired by an episode of Gunsmoke. The script is what I read the Western TV show. Um, and so it's interesting to see that. And so it was it was kind of seen. and then uh Weir passed on it because he was doing Mosquito Coast, and they asked John, John Badham, who had done Saturday Night Fever, War Games, Stakeout. Out. Um, they asked him to do it. He said, I, it just feels like another cop movie. Uh and then Weir gets approached again when the backing from Mosquito Coast fail falls through, and he makes it something else. So like he doesn't it's it's yeah. not really a cop movie to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's it's Visually, I think it's a visually it's a well-told story. Because we actually at US when we went to film school at USC, this was weirdly a movie that was shown a couple times. Like it was shown when we first took directing. Because we all had to take a directing class. And then we took a visual class. They used examples from this movie. Um, usually of how this is maybe too I don't know how people care about this, but in terms of the production design, of like, say the, the structure, like the design of it. So with like an Amish country, everything's kind of straight lines and straight angles kind of parallel. It's very like structured in like boxes and shapes. But then when you look at like the city stuff, it's all kind of crazy different colors. Uh, lines are always kind of like crooked and um, crossing each other, just a very more uh, erratic and chaotic setting. And then when you get in the Amish country, the design is much more deliberate and simple. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was. it's kind of a really interesting movie to look at in terms of just simple visual structure of a film. Um, but off of that, I want to get into this because I think these next two films we're talking about is a very big piece of kind of the weird mythology, I think. And that's the collaboration with Harrison Ford.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you. I, I didn't know that the, this project had been kicked around without weir was was ford attached to it before so weir came it lo-
1: on? yeah it looks like ford uh let's see it had been written in the 70s the 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 script originally it got rewritten a couple times smoko came on uh fox who didn't release it they didn't want to make because they didn't want they didn't make rural movies is what they said and then somehow the script gets to Ford and within four days uh, his agent contacts the producers and said he'll do it. Uh, he'll, he'll do the movie basically. And so when he got attached, that's when everything started kind of moving forward. Um, so he was attached before Weir came on, basically. Hmm. But apparently I did read that there was a lot more dialogue in the movie. Specifically in kind of I'll say the final scene between Rachel and John Book. Weir plays with no dialogue. And in the in the original script, it was like a big dialogue written scene. And the studio was like, I don't think the audience is gonna understand this if you cut out the dialogue. And we were like, I think they will.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I no, think I, ha- the, I the, think the, Harrison whole, Ford can play it. The whole like Amish second half is so quiet and peaceful and uh which makes the the kind of third act bit when it turns back into a cop movie, I think it makes it all the more kind of shocking. Yeah, uh, and you but, and
1: you either buy into it or you don't. Is kind of how I feel.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I know you know you have something different on your hands when you're when you watch a cut of you know if you're at the studio, you've been kicking around this cop thriller for a while. You sign Peter Weir, you say what the heck, and then you you see your first cut and you're like, oh my god, the best scene from this cop thriller is when they build a barn. <laughs>
1: you're right and apparently they really built that house in one day or that that That's place incredible i love yeah.
0: i love that scene so much i love the guy oh I, I always forget his name the the ballerina guy from from die hard oh yeah he's he's um, so much fun in this is alexander yeah alexander Gon- Gondanov,
1: russian-american sure. ba- ballet dancer yeah
0: yeah um, yeah he's so charming in this
1: he is. He's really good. He has it's it's a lot of great moments. It's the moments of like when he gives Harrison Ford the lemonade. It's mm-hmm. this cause this character, uh, his name's Daniel. He has like a thing for Rachel after her husband's died. And it's kind of this natural thing of like these two Amish this these Amish man, Amish women are gonna pair off and marry or, or whatever. But Book, Harrison Ford, kind of is he's, he throws a wrench into this and when he shows up. And so there's, there's like a, there's a tension between him and Daniel, but Daniel is the one that kind of like squashes it in a way. Like mm-hmm. when, like, like when he hands in the lemonade or it's, it's an interesting visual cue to show that they're kind of okay. When he like hands in the lemonade as they're building the house mm-hmm. or the bar, the barn they're building. Yeah. And also weird thing too, I noticed, and I don't know if this was in the script, or if this was a, a Harrison Ford thing, or this is a Peter Weir thing, but the connection to John Book's character as he used to do carpentry before yeah. he was a cop, yeah, and it's played so well, and I was like that, and but because Harrison Ford, for those who don't know, before he was an actor, he was a carpenter. Um, so it's just an interesting little tidbit that that's in there. And I don't know if it was the script, we or four. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's that you're talking about that lemonade, but I also love as they're heading into the barn raising, there's a, mm-hmm. a scene where Daniel just kind of turns to John and is like, Rachel tells me you used to be a carpenter. And that's, I, I feel like that's kind of the, the bridge where he's yeah. like, you know what? We're here for the good of the good of the community. I've come to terms with it. We are romantic rivals, but we're also going to be, we're also going to be friends and there's also and going off that with him
1: and it's a little bit a spoiler for those that haven't seen it but i won't see the kind of context of it, but the ending when john book's kind of driving away mm. and daniel's walking it's a weird because it's, it's you don't know that you don't know what happens there like he did he got he does a tip of the hat he does
0: little, i love that i yeah. love he does his little like tips the hat brim. Tips,
1: tips the hat but ford stops but i think daniel keeps walking and doesn't like acknowledge him it's a weird because it's played so wide you kind of can't tell and you don't know if he says like hey have a good one and just keeps walking he just it just shows him like continuously walking and ford stops and the car just kind of like stays there like oh i guess he's not going to talk to me and then leaves
0: there's parts of this movie that and this is something that no one other than Weir could have done with this film and and this goes back to kind of the we talked about the dreamlike quality he brings to picnic at hanging rock there's parts of this movie that are so peaceful and yeah yeah. and i mean it's it's obviously done on purpose but it's it's executed so well it's like wow that actually seems kind of pleasant to go be be amish for a little while especially for book who uh patty lapone with her horrible haircut as as his sister earlier in the in the film um that
1: is patty lapone (laughs) okay I knew she was in it but I did I I didn't think anything about the sister okay that makes sense okay
0: yeah but she kind of interested her her character kind of exists within the script to tell us that like John is too you know he's too busy with his work he doesn't have time for for love or for a life or anything and so I mean this is exactly you know there's the whole thing of wants and needs within a script what a character wants obviously John wants wants to be a good cop but he needs to take a break needs to take a breather and that's uh he, and that's what this this whole f- enforced field trip to Amish country kind of reminds him and, and connects him with people and, and learns that there's good in people and, and all that. But it's it's one of those, the atmosphere is executed so well that you actually are like, yeah, no, I see exactly where he's coming from. I can see why he's starting to like this, even though I love the the kind of first sequence of like the first day of work when Rachel's dad like wakes him up at 4 a.m. Uh-huh. takes him to to milk the cows and and Harrison Ford is just so annoyed um <laughs> you've never it's, you've yeah ne- it's 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 really fun I think this this I think Weir is able to pull off and it's almost as if you know when we keep tying these back to his his previous works and his experience and and you you wouldn't necessarily if you look back at his works if you're in development you've got this script you look back at Peter Weir's works you might go why would I even give this guy yeah the time of day but he brings to the stuff that's in philadelphia like you were talking about that's so chaotic and everything he brings a lot of that atmosphere from the last wave yeah he uh, does that we were talking about the kind of really dark and and chaotic city scapes that he built out in the last wave and then you get out to the amish country and and it's like boom switch now we're at picnic at hanging rock and we've got these dreamy landscapes of of these peaceful people kind of wandering around in this untouched land uh yeah i mean that's that's not something that you that's not something that i think anyone would have expected him to be able to bring but once he does bring it you're like oh this makes sense that that he was able to tap into that
1: yeah it's because i wonder like if this movie just takes place in philadelphia i don't think weird does the movie Hmm. like i think i think he needed that Oh, I can bring something to these two different worlds. And it's again, it's yeah. the outsider, it's the outsider mentality of like, it's, it's the Amish Rachel and Samuel, the, the mother and son, they're outsiders in the Philadelphia world and the, in the mm-hmm. urban world. Yeah. And a- then,
0: act one is, is, is and, well, and act one is following them a lot more than it's following John. Yeah.
1: John. Yeah. John doesn't pop up till about 15 minutes in the movie. I think 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes in the movie. Um, and then John becomes the outsider, in the whole second act when he's the city guy who's in Amish country. And then kind of everything comes to a head when the city, basically the city comes to the the countryside and the worlds yeah. collide and gets, in the final, in the third act.
0: And then it gets chaotic again, which I love. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a back away from my mic so I do not blow out the, um, so I won't blow out the, the audio right now. But I just love the last sequence when they're going, put your gun down! Put your, put your, put your gun down! And then Harrison Ford gets out and he's like, on <laughs> Oh, what's it is? It <laughs> is it Paul? Is it Paul <laughs> Enough, what are you going to do?
1: Are I, you no should that, be.
0: Yeah, Paul. No one can yell like Harrison Ford, man. No Harrison one.
1: Ford Harrison Ford yeah, yeah, I love the line too when it's like and I, I might misquote it, but when when the Amish are in the in the kind of the, the nearby small town um mm-hmm. and these people start bullying uh, uh Daniel and the other Amish people and um Eli who's riding with John goes don't do it it's not our way because basically John's about to give him go like talk like basically threaten these guys and John and Harrison Ford goes well it's my way or whatever <laughs> and then gets up and then basically
0: beats up these dudes you're making a big mistake
1: and he goes and then Daniel's like He's he's my cousin from from uh, Ohio, and they go, "Well, I don't know how I do things in Ohio, but we don't do this thing here. where We're beating up Those people because it was like the Amish. small town people, yeah, Amish, yeah. They're just like you're ruining our tourist people's uh, our tourist uh, experience here in town, like because they just see the Amish as like this attraction is what it is. Mm. And Harrison Ford just beats the crap out of this dude because <laughs> he's yeah, the ma- love- ma- this one guy's making fun of the Amish people."
0: Harrison Ford's wheelhouse, if you go back and look through his great performances, Harrison Ford's wheelhouse is when he is really skeptical of something. You know, he's he's being a skeptic. Interesting. Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. Skeptic of the force. Indiana Jones is always skeptic and it doesn't necessarily make sense for his character because he's seen so many amazing things. Yeah. But that's like every Indiana Jones movie. He's like, nah, I don't think this one thing i'm going after is actually as powerful as everyone says it is and then it is yeah um and this one too you know he's he's very skeptic of of this the kind of the amish way and and till he gets out there and and even then for a little while and then he kind of starts learning he's like oh this works for these people it might not necessarily work for me but but they they do have a good life here which leads into the next film just uh-huh. what I think makes Mosquito Coast such an interesting performance for yes. him because he is the full believer and everyone around him is a skeptic in that it's, movie. And it feels unlike any other performance yeah, he's given.
1: I, I want to talk about that because Ford, you got you got to put in the context here. Is that Harrison Ford at this when he does Witness and then because it's it's a twofer it's eighty five is Witness eighty six is Mosquito Coast but like Harrison Ford gets gets nominated for an Oscar for Witness the only time he's ever nominated for an Oscar as an actor and he's not there because him and Peter we are going off and shooting Mosquito Coast in Belize so they're mm-hmm. not the ceremony um, but what I want to bring up is just an interesting again back to back movies where Ford gives two of his most unique and interesting performances like in his Canon in his filmography, mm-hmm. both vastly different. And you got to wonder at this point, what it was like being a theater goer and seeing Ford play Indiana Jones, Uh Han Solo three times, Indiana Jones twice. He's done blade runner, which was kind of a, uh, wasn't it as we everyone knows it was kind of a failure when it came out but he does witness which is again like you're saying it's kind of in his wheelhouse of what you used to he's still playing the Harrison Ford persona and then Mosquito Coast is like we're gonna like I said we're gonna go the opposite way he's still a charismatic character but a vastly different charismatic character Mm -hmm. um but before we get into that I want to ask you this so you said out of Africa I want to go to the Oscars this year because this is the big thing is that it's Peter Weir's American debut it gets nominated for eight academy awards Wow! it wins two it wins for best screenplay best original screenplay
0: really won- i didn't even realize that
1: yeah it, it uh it beats out well okay this is debatable it beats well it beats out purple rose of cairo the official story brazil and back to the future i'd probably pick back to the future it, i know it's kind of like mm-hmm. It may because just the it's the blockbuster, it's the big film. Well, I think as may if you're telling me yeah, it has a better script in terms of I don't know. I gotta read both of them. What would you pick, Back Witness or Back to the Future?
0: I mean, I I, I I'm a little biased here, but I might go I might go Witness. See, I I, think I, I, feel I, think like I, I back Witness.
1: In terms of nominations, I feel like I had have to go Back to the Future. I just feel like I have to do it. I mean, it's the quintessential time travel. Anyway, that's the, we're not, it's not a mecca episode. Uh, we're on Peter Weir. So it wins for Best Original Screenplay, and it wins for Best Editing, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, by Tom Noble. Yes, it does. Okay. But I want to get to the Best Picture category. Best Picture and Best Director. Best Director. Uh, Peter Weir for Witness. Akira Kurosawa for RAN, wow. John Houston for Prezi's Honor, Hector Bama, Bama, Bamako, I apologize for butchering that name, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Okay,
0: that was this year. Okay. Or Sydney Pollock out of Africa. I go weird, 100%. Okay.
1: And then next follow up, or there's two more follow ups John Voigt, Runaway Train, Jack Nicholson, Prezi's Honor james garner murphy's romance harrison ford witness or william hurt kiss the
0: spider woman Ooh, i haven't actually seen kiss the spider woman see that's, I, I, I haven't know, either so that's why i know I can't. of it but um and hurt, hurt was on a hot streak as we've discussed previously
1: mm-hmm. so no that's what we'll have to watch and, and debate but best picture witness prissy's honor kiss the spider woman the color purple which, by the way, was nominated 11 times this year and lost all of them. And then the other nominee and winner, Out of Africa. What do you go
0: with? Um, I mean, honestly, looking back, maybe Color Purple, but I'd like to I say think so I go too. Witness.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I want to rewatch Color Purple, but I also think it might be Color Purple. Think about this. Danny Glover in Witness and Color Purple in the same year. Mm. So there's that
0: think about Um, this would we have lethal weapon without peter weir i don't know that's a great question mel gibson over to america giving us some danny glover danny glover is a cop not a great cop (laughs) (laughs) kind of a crooked cop
3: when can we leave this city i'm trying to get this over with as quick as i can then you can go good but samuel's probably gonna have to come back and testify i'm sorry no you're not so glad i'm glad because now you have a witness yeah, now i got a witness. I just don't like my son spending all his time with a man who carries a gun and goes around whacking people.
1: Whacking? Whacking? So Weir and uh, Ford missed the Oscars because they're often Belize shooting the Mosquito Coast. So Thomas, what is the Mosquito Coast about?
0: So the Mosquito Coast, once again, based on a novel from <laughs> Paul Thoreau, right? Yes. That's yep. his name justin thoreau's uncle yes correct uh, which ties into the upcoming apple plus mosquito coast television series which he
1: well, yeah, which justin thoreau adapted and it's starring
0: yeah him. um and then this this adaptation was written by paul schrader of taxi driver fame and uh and last temptation uh, which is a personal favorite of mine Mm -hmm. but uh, it's about a man. He's an inventor. He kind of lives outside of small town America. I don't even know if they say where it is, but it's very eighties suburban. Yeah. It's
1: shot in Georgia, shot in Rome, Georgia. Actually, I found out Rome, Georgia. Yeah.
0: And he's, he's got a family and they live in this kind of shack on the outside of town. He's an inventor, but he doesn't make much money off of his inventions. Can't really pay the rent. They might be evicted soon. And he has all these, conspiracy theories about how the world is coming to an end global warming yeah. and and the new ice age is coming and and society is going to crumble and disease and famine is coming it's and and so when their kind of eviction comes through he decides he's going to take the, his family and he's well, he going to go to south he america
1: quits. yeah he quits is what it is he quits because mm-hmm. he's like you guys don't understand me I'm, go- I, I'm going to, like, real, the real world, basically. I'm looking, yeah. it's 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 like, Uh, I'm trying to think of an example of this, but it just reminds me like, I gotta find something real. It's like, uh, um, Billy Crump. It's Cr- like when, when Billy Crump uh, yeah, <laughs> and Almost Famous. Yeah, Chris he quit still walking. I gotta find real people, man. Normal people, that's what it goes off. You wanna and-
0: see me feed my, my pet snake a rat? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, and he's also kind of the catalyst for all this, too, is he's, he's, cracked the he's he's created an ice machine yeah and he's decided that ice is the key to civilization civilization yeah Uh, you need ice and refrigeration is what you need to create civilization so they venture down uh to south america Mm -hmm. to start their own civilization based around this this ice machine that he's created
1: yeah it's one of the most unique it's one of the most unique performances I've seen by Harrison Ford
0: hmm. like
1: I don't know of another movie that stacks up against it the- I'm not saying it's his best performance I'm saying it's this most unique performance because as you said yeah. he's playing the believer he's playing this almost as it goes on he's playing an almost deranged guy
0: yeah well you know it's funny the first time I watched this i i knew what it was about but i didn't realize that schrader had yeah. adapted it yeah and as soon as his name popped up i said oh this is gonna be different than what i thought it was gonna be
1: <laughs> yeah because paul almost schrader immediately, yeah
0: you're you're launched in and, and ford spouting off these conspiracy theories about the world about society crumbling and i was like oh this is this is paul schrader 100 yeah.
1: yeah it's it's a great kind of scene because it's, it's basically it stars uh Uh, Harrison Ford is the main guy, but his son is played by, his older son's played River Phoenix. His wife's played by Helen Mirren. And the opening scene is like basically Ford driving River Phoenix to the hardware store and just talking about how the world's gone to, gone to shit, basically. Like it's the, oh, this has popped up or that's popped up. These people are going to take over. It's going to be a nuclear war. But I love the scene. They go into the hardware store and Jason Alexander plays the hardware clerk. Mm Mm-hmm. Jason Alexander, from, for George Cassandra from Seinfeld, for people that don't know. And Jason Alexander's look of just like, oh, God, this guy. A
3: country trying to do a taking door-locking, ulcerated danger zone of rabid scavengers, criminal millionaires, and moral sneaks. Nobody ever thinks of leaving this country. I do. I think about it every day. I'm the last man. I want an eight-foot length of rubber seal with foam backing. This country's going to the dogs,
1: nobody cares,
3: I just work here, that's the attitude, buy junk, sell junk, eat junk, $3.99, don't want it, that's what you asked for, who are you working for, the Japanese, if you don't want it just say so just said so, Jack. Don't want it. Look, made in Japan. I don't want my hard earned American dollars converted into yen. I want an American length of rubber seal. Do you work here? All right, we'll get it someplace else. This is not the only place in town. Goodbye.
1: Harrison Ford is a doom and gloom doomsday prepper, like from, from the beginning, like mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie. And so seeing him when they get into the jungle where you're expecting Harrison Ford to kind of have that Harrison Ford turn where he's the good guy and you don't know if it's going to come
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: kind of the thing it's that like and i i can see going to see this movie again as we talked about the witness the Ra- raiders and uh han solo i could see sitting in this movie going like what is this performance because it's just the opposite of what Harrison Ford
0: does yeah yeah you were like oh I heard Harrison Ford was going to be in the jungle yeah when is he going to be Han Solo yeah and he's not no he's not
1: like and you and you I guess you keep just waiting for him to like realize the error of his ways but it's Paul Schrader so uh not really gonna happen kind of like it's it's like what is that um but like, like a scene that i think is just so dark but i think is masterfully directed by weir and perfectly played by ford is when these soldiers come into the there because basically ford and his and his family have built up this like little tank little village in the middle of the jungle like they've they've brought civilization into this area and after they've done this, they Harrison Ford goes to this like other tribe that's apparently never seen a white man before to bring them ice because he's he wants to be like worshipped in a way and like hey appreciative for the ice I'm bringing you. And they find these three men who are locked up, and Ford's like hey because they said we, we, we can get out ourselves. He goes hey we'll follow all trails and come back to our village and we'll help you or whatever. And they get there, and now they have guns. These three men have guns. And they essentially want to take over the village, is what it is. Mm -hmm. And Ford now realizes, oh, God, what do I do to get get rid of them?
0: They're not going to leave. Yeah, because Ford's also kind of created this place as a commune. Like, everyone who lives there has jobs, and they all contribute. And these guys have no interest in contributing whatsoever. They want everyone else to to kind of wait on them.
1: It reminds me and it's not in any way shape or form this thing, but it reminded me of 2001 a space odyssey at the beginning when the apes get the bone and they turn the bone into a weapon. Hmm. It reminded me of that because in this movie, it's this idea of like, when you go to civilize something or when you go to create something, there's going to be some form of destruction Mm -hmm. is that you can't keep it perfect forever. And once you introduce something into this world, it could be used as a tool or it could be used as a weapon. And in this moment, when these guys come, now I have guns and they're wanting to rule this village. Not said directly because I think they, they speak in a different language. But Ford now turns his tool to build ice into a weapon because he puts them in there like, hey, you'll be sleeping here tonight. And now it becomes, we're going to lock them in this basically like cooler,
0: mm-hmm.
1: lock them in, turn it on, and have them freeze to death. Now we're using this tool as a weapon. And because of that, we have turned this civilized, we're ter- civilization does not mean perfection. It's, he's searching for a utopia that's not there. And he essentially blows it up, figuratively and literally, when he uh, essentially kills these three men. Yeah. Spoiler alert for that. Um, but it's a very dark moment. And that's when you kind of realize this is not... Like, I mean, you see it before, like early on. But this is when you know Harrison Ford's not playing your, your typical Harrison Ford role. Is when he's going to go to these depths to protect his obs- obsession, basically. This one I really enjoyed because it's such an odd movie with all these players in it. With the yeah. polish, like, like, I wonder... Because Roger Ebert, this is the first movie that Roger Ebert didn't like from Peter Weir. It's (laughs) funny kind of reading Roger Ebert's reviews of Peter Weir because it's always like four stars, four stars. Watch this guy. Watch this guy. Mosquito Coast is like, you know, he made some great movies before this, but this one, (laughs) he's like, it's, but he kind of pinpoints. He goes, it's masterfully directed by Weir and it's perfectly played by Ford, but it's the script that doesn't fully worked work with these two ingredients
0: yeah it's a very very dark script um which you, you can't expect anything less from paul schrader yeah this is one within the the whole a- auteur theory of we're this is one of those things and 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 schrader has always been this way i feel like a, it's very rare that a that a writer's voice is so strong that it kind mm-hmm. of defies any director that he works with but i think schrader is that way yeah, and so I think this becomes a Schrader film for better or for worse, and and Weir Weir shoots it wonderfully, and and Harrison Ford's doing playing the script for sure, but it it becomes yeah. this kind of twisted, dark Paul Schrader film, which I I I love Paul Schrader as this twisted dark voice, um, but yeah, it it it, and so you know you do see these things like we've talked about that this this dreamlike quality of of Weir's work. Is kind of twisted into a nightmare here, and I think yeah. it's the only of it's the only of his films that that happens. And and I'm not saying all his films are happy; they mm-hmm. don't all have happy endings. But this is the only one where it does feel like his his powers are being used for evil, almost. Weird way, um, yeah. yeah. It's an extremely cynical film, and that part I think is most surprising when you come to it because we are like we talked about with Gallipoli. This is a heart wrenching anti-war film about the brutality of war but Weir chooses to focus on the the joy and the innocence of these men before they are destroyed by war. And and so he's someone who who always finds this kind of dream like once again but always kind of finds this like fantastical yeah energy within everything and wonder. I think wonder is 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 a big word. And and there's 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 parts of it within this in the when the script allows the the characters to be joyful you know when they're first building the camp and the the i they create the ice it and it really seems like this commune is going to work it does start feeling like a lot more weird. It, yeah. you know you get you get sequences almost like the barn raising <laughs> yeah. in uh witness <laughs> and then schrader comes in and it's like hold up yeah guess what guys ice melts and and you know who lives in the in the jungle bandits
1: yeah, well, no, it's the scene where, like, everyone's excited uh, about it. And then it, because River Phoenix is kind of narrating the movie, not as much mm-hmm. as he probably should. It's kind of, like, hit or miss the narration. But he's narrating it, like, talking about his parents and talking about his dad, by Harrison Ford. And it's, like, everyone's excited about the ice. And then it cuts to a Ford who's watching in disgust. There's this joyous moment amongst the people. And the only thing Ford can think of, Ford's character, is just oh, they're using me. They're using me like everyone else. They're not appreciative that I gave them this. Fatboy boy looked like a miracle
2: to the local Zambus, And a kind of ice market was established, everything for free. But father was restless. It was all too easy now, and everyone was taking his ice for granted. Then Francis told him about an Indian tribe, a half a day's march into the mountains. People who had never seen missionaries or anyone else, and they had certainly never seen ice. These were the pure people he had talked of in Hatfield, friendly savages who would see his ice
1: as a jewel and be amazed. It's like he kind, like he the character misses the point of everything, and it's this, and he and he legitimately believes that like America has been blown to pieces that they left, mm-hmm. but there's weirdly, it's I will say this when we're watching it and maybe because it's Schrader, I, I'm not saying it's right, That it's like the right things are being said, but there's a lot of relevant conversations being had in this movie that are very present today. Um, I mean, there's, I see, uh, there's a few hints of First Reformed in this movie when you get oh, yeah. to the religious, when you get to the religious aspect of the film. Yeah, because there's a yeah, side well, character. Yeah, because we didn't, the, we know, didn't even preacher. really bring that up. Yeah, Andre yeah. Gregory
0: plays this missionary that they're kind of on the boat to this place together and um Harrison Ford looks upon him with such disdain that almost this disdain almost turns into hatred as as the film goes on and it becomes toxic almost and in Schrader's Schrader's someone who has a very interesting relationship much like Scorsese I think that's part of the yeah. reason they work so well together is Schrader is someone who has a very interesting relationship with Christianity uh to to a point of obsession um yeah but yeah, like you, yeah, for, there's there's shades of First Reformed. I mean, there's 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 shades of any of his stuff. Is like a man, man driven, uh, insane by his convictions. Is, is your
1: but I'm just like, I'm standard rem-
0: trader fair.
1: I'm reminded of there's this beautiful moment where there where the families. It's almost like the Swiss, like a dark Swiss Family Robinson type thing, mm-hmm. where they're sailing down the river. And all of a sudden, you hear this like voice, like these this choir singing in the middle of the jungle, and it's this very like Peter Weir moment. And then you show up, and it's they're at the mission basically. And Harrison, they're like, "We should stop. They can help us." And Harrison Ford's like, "No, let's keep going." And then when he hears Andre Gregory's voice, like, "Turn this around. Like, let's go." Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, it's like he wants to like go after this guy, even though literally five seconds before he had no interest in stopping and dealing with these people. But once he found it, it was this, dude's like, I'm going to show him, I'm going to show him what I mean. And, but it's this, again, talk about relevant moment. talk about just the first reformed aspect is that they show up and they go into the church and they hear Andre Gregory's voice preaching to the, uh, the, um, the people, the congregation there, and they walk in, and it's a video screen. It's a video screen. It's a projector, and they're projecting a film of him preaching. And in modern day society, I feel it's almost more relevant today than mm-hmm. it was then because of. I mean, now it's pandemic. It's a little bit different. Before that, with these kind of like mega churches that kind of and just the satellite come churches, in, the satellite churches. It's if it's feels. Well, that's why i say it feels like first reform because that's kind of a little bit of thing of the big mega churches they have in that film it felt very relevant more today than it might have done back then
0: hmm. yeah um yeah it's a um I, I don't it's it's not easy to prepare someone for this film and if you're no if you're watching if you're watching we are along with us uh be it's
1: gonna warned. be a hard
0: left it's, it's gonna be a hard left yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: and he, i mean he still shoots it beautifully. And like yeah. I said, they're giving it everything they got. But it's one of those things that I think of, of any because like we said before, we are someone who, who has worked with a lot of screenwriters. He does a lot of uh, story by credits. He does a lot of adaptations and, and his voice comes through in a lot of these. But he's not the primary writer for for most of his projects. And I think this is the the outlier in his works where his voice is is overshadowed by the voice of the script. Like we just talked about with Witness, he is someone who obviously that movie could have gone in a very different direction. And his voice comes through so loud and clear. It, it for, for the best, I, I, I really think Witness could have been awful if it, it oh, had it been could shot have been. like any other it, 80s yeah, action movie. It could have, it could have been a typical
1: movie. 80s cop movie with Harrison Ford. Like, Because hey, I was talking to buddy last night, Harrison Ford made a cut co- um, on several... like. 80s like adult movies i guess you could say early 90s it's like the frantic the presumed the presumed innocent um those movies that that had a little bit of a like following or whatever but had never transcended in any way like, it didn't catch on like for years to come and consider it a classic um but witness i think is one of those where like people who've seen it love it and I thought like it should be considered more of a classic than what it is, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. But with Mosquito Coast, I, well, going back to that. I've read it was the first like failure of Ford's career box office wise. And he said later, I think in 92, okay, Mosquito Coast, it's the only film that I've done that hasn't made its money back. I'm still glad I did it. If there was a fault with the film, it was that didn't fully embrace the language of the book by Paul Thoreau. It may have it may have more properly been a literary, literary rather than cinematic ex- exercise, but I think it's full of powerful emotions. So you almost wonder if it's a better book than a, basically a movie is what is what kind of comes off
0: as. I'm very interested to see if if uh, Justin Thoreau makes it a a. More faithful adaptation, maybe. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure, uh but but it's you know a lot of a lot of feel good Peter Weir movies out there. This is not one of them. This is not don't, one. Of them. Uh, don't and, come to it for that.
1: And we we're talking about kind of the the uh the writing aspect and kind of Weir's touch on the writing aspect. I think it's going to become very apparent as we go later on in this month. I think when we get the Truman Show. That's the big one where I can give you specific examples of how he changed that script to make that a memorable film. But that's going to be part four, guys. That's a little ways away. And now for a quick commercial break. Something we normally do on the show. But I want to take a minute to promote an appearance I made on another film podcast recently called The Retrograde Podcast. Now, I was asked by the two hosts of the show, Austin and George, to talk about my favorite movie of all time, The Blues Brothers. I've rarely talked about my love for the Blues Brothers on our show, so these guys kind of got first look rights for all my knowledge and passion for the Blues Brothers.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Austin.
1: And my name is George.
2: And we love movies. On our podcast, Retrograde, we talk about everyone's favorite movies.
1: Like Star Wars.
2: Terminator 2. Mean Girls. Top Gun.
1: Candyman.
2: Legally Blonde.
1: Little Shop of Horrors.
2: And more. That's- Each week, we take one movie and talk about what we remember about it and where we were when we first saw it.
3: We talk about how audiences and critics reacted to it when it originally came out. We
2: do some research on how it was made and the legacy that the film left behind. And then we rewatch the film to see whether or not it still holds up. Sometimes they hold up and sometimes they don't. Bit at all. And sometimes we don't agree. I hate this movie. I hate you. But every episode we learn something new. Whoa. You can listen to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe and
1: leave us those five stars. Those juicy stars. Mosquito Coast is probably one of those harrison ford works he's like i'm really proud of but no one saw
0: yeah so. i mean you have to you have to imagine as, as someone who who is passionate about acting to yeah. have the opportunity to play somebody like this who is so outside of your wheelhouse has got to be exciting yeah and, and especially with a director that you have come to trust you know that you've come to work well with
1: yeah so yeah apparently his agent did not want him to
0: take this movie i think that's that's what's most interesting about this movie to me is it, it does feel like one of those things that that a publicist would be like, no, you're you're Harrison Ford. You're Han Solo. Yeah. You're Indiana Jones. This don't be an abusive, uh, crackpot, doomsday prepper, <laughs> He's racist, like, well, right-wing gonna do father. It.
1: Yeah, it kind of is, yeah. Uh, do you, let me tell you who was going to play it before Harrison Ford. Someone else was offered it. Who's that? I'll give you why he turned it down and you'll, you'll get it right off the bat of who it was. He turned it down... Cause he could not watch Los Angeles Lakers Lakers games in Belize
0: when they were shooting Nicholson. Interesting. Jack Nicholson. I could. I mean, I could see that, I, you know, that's, you know, that's the thing. Stephen King always said he, he hated the shining adaptation because you don't, you know, he didn't feel like you saw him break because he was all Nicholson was already playing him as crazy from, from the get go. Yeah. They, that's what this one calls for. That's what so. it is. This,
1: this would be an interesting Nicholson performance
0: but, it is. It is like The Shining, but uh, with the jungle instead of a snowed-in yeah. uh, hotel. Honestly. Yeah.
1: And then Ford's like, "I can do it." So I, I, as I said, if you, if you're a big Harrison Ford fan, it's a very interesting double feature. I don't know. If it's gonna be a fun one. But if you do Witness and Mosquito Coast back to back, maybe start. I don't know if you should start Mosquito Coast first because that's the more depressing one.
0: I would start. I would start with Mosquito Coast only, so you can. End your day with, with uh watching Daniel do his little the
1: tip. Hat tip as,
0: as the book drives off into the sunset. That's fair.
1: That's a good end of the day. Um I'll ask you this. Not with Mosquito Coast, because we're getting a remake with that with Justin Thoreau. If you had to do witness today, who do you cast?
0: This is if I had to do witness in the like late nineties, I think yeah. Denzel would be fantastic.
1: Denzel would be a fun one to do.
0: Um that's the first person my mind went to. I'm, uh, I'm okay
1: with sticking with that. I mean, what, what is, what his son? Would John David Washington be a guy for that nowadays? I, had, I don't, I don't know. know. You and I had a text discussion yeah, the other day. I
0: don't think, I don't think John David Washington, I, which, I mean, I guess this, this speaks to his ability to stand alone as a performer, but I don't think he can, I think he, he fills a different type of role than Denzel Field in his, in his prime.
1: I feel like the easy choice because he's already done it before is Ryan Gosling.
0: Yeah. Uh, if, if, if gun to my head, if you had, if I had to pick a modern actor, I'd go Chris Pine.
1: I knew you were going to say Chris Pine. I knew you were going to say Chris (laughs) Pine. That's okay. I understand it.
0: I get it. Give me, give me Chris Pine as, as book and give me, give me Jake Gyllenhaal as Daniel and, and bring back Viggo Mortensen.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. We haven't even talked about that. Viggo Mortensen popping up. It was his first film role in witness. Apparently he said that he turned down a play turned down shakespeare in the park i think henry V to be in witness
0: and he said to be it was, a, a, a silent he, you know, he, has, he has
1: one line i think at one point towards the end like in that in the fighting scene or what i can't remember the in the town scene when they get beat when, the, when, when ford beats up the uh amish people i think he, he has one hmm. line i know i heard him speak because i thought it was a silent part and he has one line towards the end but he did say that if it was if if it wasn't for the experience on Witness, he wouldn't have probably continued doing film acting as a career. So, if you want to thank Weir are for Lord of the
0: Rings, feel free to. Well, it's all connected.
1: It's all connected. Just wait until we get to Ethan Hawke next week for Dead Poets Society. Yes,
0: I'm so <laughs> excited.
1: So, looking at these three films, I guess what can you, what can you take from this period in Weir's career? This three film period.
0: I think the the main takeaway from from this week's episode we we established last week how much we are was tied in with that Australian new wave movement of, uh, you know what does it mean to be an Australian and even though we live here we've been here for generations we are still strangers in a strange land this is not our land and we took it and what does that mean and that what what this week really shows us is that is he's sticking to it and he can translate that theme outside of Australia completely, because that, that is something that comes up in all of these movies for better or for worse. You know, you've got, and it's actually kind of really interesting because there's the same kind of question is posed throughout these three films. It's like, what do you do when you when you're plopped into somewhere completely yeah. new and you don't know the customs, you don't know anything. Um, I'd say that the year of living dangerously is about letting it change you, but not getting too attached in a way almost, you know, he learns from Billy that you, that you can get too attached and and you're, you're just one person. You don't have the ability to change at all. And then with, with witness, it changes him profoundly in a positive way. And then kind of the lesson of mosquito coast is you can't, you can't change anything. You can't really change yourself. You can't change this yeah. place that you've come to, and it may destroy you if you try.
1: Yeah. And it's this you're seeking this utopia, and you kind of come to find out that, like, you're never going to fully find it. Like, that's the thing is mm-hmm. that, like, anytime you bring some sort of civilized thing into this untouched landscape, it's has the ability to be corrupted in some way.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's also this idea of, like, you don't know better. Like, he, yeah. he, he comes into this. Area with this mindset of like, I am, I'm from America. I'm, I'm American. This inventor. I'm, <laughs> I'm smarter than you. Yeah. I've got technology. And and what he ultimately finds is that, A, this is not a place where technology is going to help you. And B, maybe you don't know. This is not your, you're not from here. You don't know this land. You know, you, who, are, who are you to tell us how to live our yeah. lives?
1: You're becoming the thing you despise is mm-hmm. the end of the day. Is that you're the, you're, you've critiqued how Americans came in and took over this land and ruined it and all that. But then you go off and essentially do some of the same things, Mm
0: -hmm. but you
1: think because you have a higher purpose or something, that's what changes it. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a very unique three, but you touched on this. that I want to talk about of why I think he had a much easier transition than some of the other Australian directors that he was really able to tap into and transition those Australian ideals to American ideals. Like, mm. that's what kind of like. Because you'll see a few directors like uh, Bruce Beresford, who did like Driving Miss Daisy, which is going to come out the same year as Dead Poet Society. And it almost just. I don't know who wrote it, but it almost just feels like a cookie cutter version of like, this is America or whatever, or something like, of American life. Um, but I don't think Weir's films really have that i think i think it's a very detailed specific he's able to pick specific stories but still put that overarching like outsider theme into them and yeah well and
0: i think he's also someone who because it seems like some of these other directors when they came over got swallowed up by the studio system and and spat out as as kind of workman directors yeah um and it seems like we're Sometimes I do think Weir is regarded as a workman director because his films are so different mm-hmm. on the surface. But when you start looking into it, you brought up something we haven't talked about this week. You brought it up last week music. He yeah. has such a specific ear for music and he's he working does. with different composers. Yeah. But you hear it and you're like, that's a Peter Weir movie. Yeah.
1: It's, it's this whole kind of new age
0: synthy yeah. world music that he yeah. likes. And he's also someone who's got a great eye for casting. Um, we, we talked a little bit about the the process of casting billy kwan but what ended up happening was after his initial choice didn't work out with mel gibson uh, uh Weir says he just saw a picture of linda hunt and was like i want her and yeah, yeah. she was like i don't know if i want to do this like this yeah she this kept is saying, really like, scary
1: she kept saying turn it into a woman because i feel like i'm going to be like uh attacked and some we're well, not attacked but like run out of town because i'm playing a man basically
0: mm-hmm. i'm and taking like, no, I, I have faith in you you can do it yeah and yeah so he is someone who had you know a lot of it seems like he exercised a lot of control as far as his cinematography his music his cast and so i do think that's kind of what what helped him stand out as well as he like we're gonna continue to keep saying yeah, yeah. He, he he came into this as an auteur where i think a lot of these other guys seeded a lot more to. The studio and got swallowed up by it.
1: And I'll tell you this you brought up cinematography, and I didn't know when I was going to bring this up, but he, besides a few films in the 90s, I think Truman Show and maybe Fearless, and maybe one other one made a green card. But I'm pretty sure he worked with the same two DPs his entire career. So he, wor- he worked with Russell Boyd in Australia for this Australian New Wave. John seal was the camera operator. I think on Gallipoli, Hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And then when he comes into America with witness, John seal is now his DP and he serves as his DP for most of his run in America run America until the two thousands. And then Russell Boyd comes back and shoots his last two films, I believe. So he's worked with the same two Australian DPs, most of his career. Um, and, yeah, and I want to bring this up, too, because I want to, it's going to come up these next two episodes. But, again, he's working with an actor who is at kind of their peak in some way, or mm-hmm. a peak, is that, again, Harrison Ford's coming off Star Wars and two Indiana Jones movies. This dude could go make whatever he wants to, and he chooses to make... To be in like, because he could, if Peter Weir came on, you don't think Harrison Ford had approval over who was directing Witness. Like, no, yeah. he definitely did, or he would have walked. And so, and then he commits to like, you know, let's do Mosquito Coast. We'll miss the Oscars. Who cares if I win? I want to go make this movie with you. And, and he's, I think he's spoken highly about it. Both of them since then spoken highly of Peter Weir. And most of the actors, the big actors that worked with them do speak highly of Peter Weir. But again, we're going to see that next week with Dead Poets Society, with Robin Williams being at the top of his game in the 80s. And then we're going to see it again the week after with Jim Carrey at the top of his game with Truman Show. But Harrison Ford's kind of that first, and you'll see it with Russell Crowe as well. But Harrison Ford's that first guy who's like, hey, I want a reimagining of my image is what it feels like. Can you give Mm -hmm. me that? And that's what Witness and Mosquito Coast do.
0: Any other comments you want to say about this this week? I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying being back on this ride with you all. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming along on this. this. This this is this is so much fun for me because this is something I've always I, I I think Brandon brought it up last week, but we were shown a Peter Weir film in school, and I was like, Peter Weir is an auteur. and one day I'm gonna prove it. And you know, <laughs> the world might not listen to this. It took this seven years of podcast, but but some of you out there. Are gonna are gonna hear this, and uh, thank you for thank you for listening because this yeah. has been I have been like Harrison Ford and Mosquito Coast talking about ice. it Has <laughs> been me talking about Peter Weir being an underappreciated altor. <laughs> that's
1: great, but yeah, I think that's all we have for you on this episode regarding Peter Weir for part part two of Peter Weir next week. Part three, we're going to be talking about. Dead Poets Society, Green Card, and Fearless, starring Jeff Bridges. Make sure you subscribe to the Sin Nation podcast and Out podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And if
0: you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. Yeah, guys, we're out here. We're listening. Let us know where we should go next. You got somebody I would love to hear. You know, this might not be a review thing. This might be a social media thing, but I would love to hear who's your, who's your tour obsession. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, you want to let's let's uh I'd, I'd be really interested to hear some of these other I'm finally getting to to air m- all of my theories about this <laughs> so I'd love to hear your your thoughts as well on on other people but yeah tweet us at pod but come back next week guys I know I think I said it last week about this week that this was going to be my favorite episode <laughs> of the whole thing but honestly it might be next week it might be next know. week I love I- these movies those <laughs> movies I also really love so
1: the thing is you gotta prep Thomas because the last episode I'm gonna be asking for the rankings
0: so be yeah, prepared. I, I, know, I know it's coming. I, I, yeah. I've been going over it in my head, but I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, you know, choosing my children.
1: Yeah. But be prepared. But yeah, as time was say, like, yeah, reach out to us on social media. I've had a couple people reach out to me this past week who weren't as knowledgeable about Peter Weir, who are now becoming knowledgeable about Peter Weir. And like, I didn't realize he made this many movies. So that's what we're here for, I hope you guys enjoy that. But yeah, if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and again keep prepping for peter weir month keep keep following along with us we enjoy hearing what you guys have to say about it um thomas as always thank you for joining me yeah man and thank you all for listening hope you listen more episodes soon bye